Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, I would ask you to return in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts 15. This is your first Sunday here. We're studying through the book of Acts, making our way thought by thought through it, and we have left off in this strange little section here that Ted just read for us a minute ago. But uh, some conflict in the church and the advancement of the gospel. But uh, we're going to have the privilege of studying this, and I think it will be impactful uh, as, we, as we examine this passage today. I think it will, it's ministered to me personally, and I think it will, hopefully will to you. And I would like to just maybe continue in a spirit of prayer based on that song and just go before the Lord here uh, before we begin. So let's pray together. Thank you, God, for this word. Thank you for what Ted even prayed a little bit ago, that this is not just words about you, but they're very words that shape us, and grapple with our thoughts and our minds and drive us to become better uh, at understanding you. And we become, uh, our flesh is dealt with and, and we get a chance to grow into the image of Christ. And even a passage, a few verses we're looking at today that appear to be kind of isolated in the midst of a story yet have power and uh, thank you God that that what is here can shape us I pray that it would do that this morning for your glory amen a few years ago probably more like about a decade ago I guess um, I was driving home driving down 23 and as I was driving home I saw a store that Heather likes to shop in and uh, for clothes, and so I get this like impulsive moment, and I say, I am going to buy my wife an outfit, just for no other reason. I'm just going to do this, just completely impulsive. And so I drive up, and I go to the store, and I walk in there, and I find a sales clerk, and I say, I want to buy my wife an outfit. And she goes, great, that's wonderful. And she's all, you know, whatever, getting all excited. And, and I say, yeah, the whole thing, buy an outfit. She goes, well, what size do you, what, you know her size is? And I said, oh, she's about your size. And yeah, there's a few women went, uh-oh, yeah, you know where this is headed. <laughs> so kind of thinking, and, and she looks at me, she gives me this look, and she's just staring at me. And I say, yeah, in fact, and then I, right, really just to show you how dumb I am, I go, and in fact, she kind of dresses like you. So if you could just pick, an out, pick out an outfit you would like, that would fit you, pop it in a box, we'd be good to go. I literally said this to her. And she goes, that is not going to work. <laughs> I said, I don't get it. She's about your size, and she dresses like you. Just pick something out. Go into the dressing room, try it on. If it works, great. Pop it in a box. I got a great I love you gift, and this is, this is we're rocking. And she says, this is not going to work. You do not understand anything. Women's clothes do not work this way. You need to know sizes. You need to know brands. She starts running through this whole list of things I need to know, which shows me why it takes a long time for women to go shopping. This is a complicated <laughs> process, okay? There's, depends on the brand, depends on the size, and all these things that I learned that I didn't know. And, uh, and so I walked out somewhat dejected and, 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 and thinking, wow, what I thought was going to be really simple you get some pants, you get a shirt, you put it in a box, you bring it home. Hey, I love you. Didn't work. Okay? 
And, and, and I was thinking about that, this story this week, because I was thinking that that is kind of a basic life reality, isn't it? That, that even something as simple as thinking you're just going to buy clothes turns out to be way more complicated than what it is. And, and, and you begin to realize that life doesn't always go the way you think it's going to go. Right? Plans do not carry out the way that you would like them to carry out. Life gets difficult. Now, if you take that kind of basic reality of life and then you add it to the gospel and the mission of the gospel and, and the taking the gospel out to the world, you begin to realize that, that even that gets more and more complicated. And that if you're trying to live out on the edges of, of, of ministering the gospel and you're trying to get out there and, and do work for, for, to advance the kingdom until the glory of Christ is seen over all creation like we just sung, you realize it's a lot more complicated than what you think it should be. One missionary has said this and, uh, many years ago to me, and I, I really think it's true. He, he just basically says, missions is messy. It's messy. The work of the kingdom is messy work. It's, it's complicated work. And, and sometimes you get into it thinking it's going to be simple, and then you, you realize it gets way more complex. We're looking at a very unique story. We're looking at two missionaries, two apostles, two leaders in the church, two men that have put their life on the line and risked everything for the gospel, and then suddenly a conflict arises. A conflict arises, and it breaks this team up. And you go, wow, what in the world happened here? How did this happen? How did these two guys end up the way they ended up? How, what in the world? You know, you would think it'd be simpler than that. You would think these two guys would be forever you know, they wouldn't wind up like the Beatles, breaking up and going nowhere and, and all this stuff. You would think that they would actually stay together and keep this mission rolling, and yet you realize something. The mission is tough, and it's messy. And yet, in the midst of all of that, God's work gets done. God's work gets done. In fact, God's work will be done. His kingdom will come. The glory of Christ will reign over all creation. And nothing can stop it, not even the messiness of the world. And one of the things that's unique about this little section, these handful of verses we're looking at today, is the fact that we see a couple things in here. We don't just see a conflict, right? We could look at this and just make this about the conflict. But this isn't just about the conflict that's here. This is about the power of God to carry out His work in the messiness of the mission. And this is also about the actual heart of ministry that is preserved and protected even in the midst of the messiness of ministry. And we're going to see those two things. We're going to see the heart. We're going to see the messiness. We're going to see both of it. And, 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 and in looking at this, as we drill into this text this morning, I'm hoping that a couple things happen. Number one, I'm hoping that, that we can not just see the messiness, because sometimes if you're just looking at the messiness, right, it'd be very easy for me to kind of say, forget it, I'm never buying my wife a present again. If it's that complicated, that's it. She's out of luck. She's just getting gift cards for the rest of her life, right? You, you, could, you could see it that way if you're just looking at the messiness of it. Or you can stop and say, listen, there's something deeper here. I'm not just letting this conflict define this moment. What I want to do is I want to look at two things. I want to see the actual ministry and that it continues on and I want to see the sovereignty of God. That God is sovereign and His work will be done. The mission cannot fail. This is the truth. And we're going to see this in the midst of this story. We're going to look at it by looking first at the heart of the mission and then second, the messiness of it. 
And I want you to be able to get an eye on the mission and, and to make sure we don't lose the heart of it. And I want you to, to get your hope in the sovereignty of God. Because as we go about living in this world and, and seeking to be faithful, seeking to be disciples, things will not go as planned, right? It can be more complicated. Things can get difficult. And yet, we don't want to allow that to define it. We want to make sure that we recognize that God is in control and he's carrying out his purposes in this world. So let's look here at the heart of this mission. What I want you to notice is that as you read this, and of course, even if you have a, a Bible, you probably have some kind of heading that says, you know, mine says, Paul and Barnabas separate, and, and that's definitely a big theme there in the story. But I want you to notice something, that this story has some bookends to it. There's bookends. Verse 36 and verse 41 are bookends. And in both verse 36 and, and 41, they, they kind of corral this, this story. In the middle of this is, is this conflict. But on either side is ministry. There's ministry occurring. Interesting ministry that's going on. Ministry that's introduced in 36, built on in 41. And I don't think Luke wants us to just read about the conflict. I, want, I think he wants us to press in to the ministry that's going on. So I want to look first at these bookends, at 36 and 41, and then we'll jump into the middle of the, of the Oreo here, the white filling, and look at the conflict that's in between that. But let's look here at, this, at the ministry that's going on. The first ministry I want you to notice is that there's a ministry of nurturing that's going on. This whole conflict emerges because Paul has a heart to nurture this church. Look at verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Okay, so we have to kind of pick up in our storyline. Paul's returned from his first missionary journey into the Galatia region, southern Turkey. He's come back. Men came from Jerusalem saying, hey, you can't just preach a message of faith. you got to have works involved, and these guys got to get circumcised. they got to follow the law. And big conflict emerges, and so they have this big council in Jerusalem, if you remember that, and, and, and they come back and they say, listen, we need faith and love. We need these guys to realize they're saved by faith. We're not adding any law to their salvation, but we do want them to be sensitive to the Jews and to make sure that they're sensitive to the customs that the Jews hold dear and that they don't flaunt their freedom to, uh, to actually you know, disturb the consciences of the, of the Jews. And then we kind of picked up last week, kind of tied in the Bible together, and, and we saw how these men that did this in Antioch then went off to Galatia, and Paul had to write the book of Galatians to stop these guys from, from teaching this message of tearing down this, these churches. And so now, Paul and Barnabas have stayed for a while in the church in Antioch. They're sending church, and they've been ministering there. And then Paul says here in verse 36, after some time of doing ministry there, we've got to go back to Galatia and see how the people are doing. Now what we have here is what I want to just simply call the nurturing heart of Paul. He had a heart to nurture these people. He cared about them. It wasn't just this mission of, of him constantly going out to the furthest reaches and not caring about the churches that were established. He was accused of that by many people. He really did care for them. He was a nurturer. You know, one of the things we're doing as a leadership team is we are studying the, the First and Second Thessalonians. We have a book that we're using, and, and we are, uh, it's helping us study these, these, these books. And what we're studying is the shepherding heart of Paul. And in the book of Thessalonians, you see his shepherding heart. And there's an element of Paul's ministry that he's a nurturer. 
And that element has really been impactful for us. We're trying to learn how to nurture better. This is it's hard work to do this. And, and you naturally, in, in, your, in your own flesh, you don't do a good job of that. And, 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 and so we're studying this. How do we do this? And one of the things that we looked at in, in, is, is 1 Thessalonians 2. And I want to bring that, this passage in here for a minute because I want us to see verse 36 in light of the way Paul actually did ministry. Because I want you to just catch this, and, and, and I'll tell you why this is important here. But, but just listen to this. As Paul describes how he did his ministry in, among the Thessalonians, he says to them when, we, when he was there, he says, we never came to you with words of flattery or, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our, our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. You can see what he's doing here. He's, he's saying, we came because we loved you, we cared about you. And, and that very heart that we see among the Thessalonians, I think is the heart that's driving him to go back to Galatia. Now, I'm making a point of this because we've got to let this conflict sit within this context. The conflict between Paul and Barnabas is set within a context of a shepherd, of a guy who's saying, I want to go back. I want to care for these churches. I want to make sure that they're not disturbed. He knows that these Judaizers have come in and messed with these people, and he wants to care for them. He wants to build them up. Okay, he's got this heart. Okay, now drop down to verse 41. And we're going to get this heart built on because now we're going to see that it's not only a mission of nurturing that is there in Paul in verse 36, but the bookends of this story is, is now this ministry of establishing. Look at verse 41. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Okay, it's an interesting. So this is after the split, and we'll talk about the split in a minute, but Paul and Silas now have went up into southern Turkey, and notice what it says, that they went through these regions, strengthening the churches. Now, when you hear the word strengthening, you probably could just blow by that word and just kind of think, yeah, it's just strengthening the church. But what does it actually mean to strengthen a church? You start to think, what does the word strengthen mean? Let me tell you what the word strengthen means. It means to put something in its working order. Okay, put something in its working order. I remember we had some car trouble a few years ago and um, had one of our cars that couldn't get the key to turn, you know, to start the car, right? That's a problem. And so... So finally kind of jingled it in there, got it started, brought it to the garage. They take it apart. I come back. says, yes, it's done. And you go back to pick it up. And I still can't get it started. Okay? He's like, well, actually, what you need to do is you stick it in, you stick it out. Hold on a minute. See, I kind of brought it here to not have to do that. Okay? Like, I could have done that in the pre... I didn't need to pay you 500 bucks to return a car in the exact same state that I dropped it off in. Now, I'm trying to be nice because every time I have these kind of conflicts, what goes through my brain is this person's going to show up on Sunday, right? Like, you know, so like they're going to walk in to church. They're going to see me standing up here. And so I want to be really gentle, but I'm getting a little annoyed. No, well, actually, here's it. I said, is there any way you could actually fix it? Can we, can we, can we aim it like having it? So stick it in, starts. Okay, he's got the car for another week. Come back. Starts. Hey, great. So driving home, turn a little air conditioning on, no air conditioning. Bring it back. Hey, notice there's no air conditioning. Oh, yeah, well, actually, in order to fix it, I had to do such a, which means that when you start it, it's actually 
too far forward, you need to just kind of click it back a little bit. And then that'll click all your stuff on. <sighs> okay, so I just want you to know, this, I'm not going to go on with this story because I could keep going, and this is not a therapy session. But here's what happened. The speedometer broke, the air conditioning broke. I mean, the, you know, everything kept breaking. And I kept thinking to myself, this is a black hole. This is costing me more money than the car is worth, and it keeps coming back in worse shape. Now, here's my point. He didn't strengthen my car, okay? <laughs> Strengthening means putting something in the working order that it was designed to work. That's what the word actually means. So, so here's my point. Paul has gone out, and he recognizes the church is to function for a reason. It's to function for a purpose. The church actually has a purpose. The car has a purpose. The key turn has a purpose. The air conditioning has a purpose. The speedometers all have a purpose. And when I drop my car off to get it fixed, I want to pick it up so that all those parts are working. And I don't want to drop it off to pick it back up to only have half of it working. Strengthening means to put the whole thing in order. So here's the mission. Paul has a heart for these people. But it isn't just kind of a kumbaya fest that he has. He has a heart to see this church function the way it's designed to function. To carry out the purposes for which it was designed. To do the things God planned for it to do. It's easy to get off track. It's very easy to get off track. We get off track. We all get off track. The early churches constantly got off track. There isn't a church in the history of the world that hasn't gotten off track. It's a common reality. And so Paul recognizes, listen, we've got to put this thing to get them back on track. The word strengthening means to put it in its functioning order. It's what it's designed to do. Now, the reason why I want to point this out to you is that this is about this, this whole story is about how is this going to happen? What is the process through which these churches in this region that they have just ministered to, that they have just shared the gospel, how are they going to get this work done? How are they going to see these churches repaired after the false teachers have come through, these churches built up after all the conflict that's just happened? Uh, of course, there's conflict all within these areas. These are tough regions, tough missionary work. How are they going to do this work? Because the heart of the mission is to see, through love, the church functioning the way God designed it to function. Well, this leads us to our second point. It's going to happen through messiness. In this case, it happens through messiness. There's a messiness to this mission. And this messiness actually begins with something that happened in Acts 13. In Acts 13, verse 13, the first missionary team that was Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, John Mark bolted. He left the mission. He went back. And now, Paul wants to move on and keep the mission going. And notice what happens in verse 37. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. Okay, so... Right? Paul wants to go back. We've got to put these churches in order. We've got to make sure they're functioning right. We've got to make sure they're doing what God's called them to do and be what God's called them to be. Let's go, Barnabas. Barnabas says, let's bring John Mark. And Paul says, no. Cannot bring this guy. He left us in the field. He left us. We can't bring him. 
interesting conflict. And this conflict gets pretty serious. Look at verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement. So they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Notice how it says a, a sharp disagreement arose. They are actually having an argument over this thing. This is real conflict here. It's interesting, too. There are lots of discussions. If you go to Bible college and you're studying missions, oftentimes the instructor will say, who do you side with, Paul or Barnabas? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a conversation that people have. Who was right? Who was wrong? When you read this, sometimes you wonder, who was right? Who was wrong? Who did the right thing? Who said the right thing? How could this happen? It's a pretty interesting conflict. My favorite assessment of this conflict came from John Calvin. He said this. He said, it was a trivial thing that separated them, but they had preserved their unity amid such great trials. Now his point is, these guys like went out, they had people try to kill them, they had people opposing them. They stood up against false teachers. They had all kinds of like big, giant conflict. And then a question about who should be on the team separates them. And Calvin says, it's so trivial compared to all that they've been through. It doesn't make sense. And Calvin, as he's extrapolating on it, is like, this makes no sense that this would be the thing that would break these guys up of all the things they have been through. I mean, they even went through such an argument, Paul said in Galatians, about the law where, where Paul had to confront Peter because Peter and Barnabas were being led astray. I mean, they even had a major theological issue that they had resolved between themselves. But in this case, with this one guy, they can't do it. Well, what's at stake in this problem? Let me tell you what's not at stake in this problem, first of all, just so we can keep it in its context. What's not at stake in this problem is the salvation of John Mark. This is not about whether Mark, John Mark is saved, right? It's not about that. No one's arguing whether he's a Christian. Paul isn't throwing him under the bus, saying the guy is worthless in the kingdom of God, and, you know, and, and he's, you know, he's a horrible man. He's not, none of that is on, on the table here. And what's not at stake is whether or not John Mark has a place in the kingdom. All that's at stake is whether or not he should be on this team. That's it. Should he go on this team? We don't want to you know, read into it too much as to what this, this separation was, other than we do know that Paul is saying that he had abandoned us. Now you say, well, what would be the problem with that? Why not take him again, and if he abandons, he abandons? Well, keep in mind a couple things, just to put it in its context. Traveling in that day was very difficult. It was hard. When you have a team of people, right? Now, I mean, you think about it. If we go on a mission trip, what do we do? We get like luggage with wheels on it, and we, we have, a, you know, somebody picks us up in a van, they take us to an airport, and our stuff goes into, you know, uh, the, the belly of a plane, and we just have our backpacks filled with water and, you know, granola bars and, and books to read, and, and we sit on a plane and we fly overseas, and we come back, and there's our luggage waiting for us, and somebody's waiting at the airport, right? That's, our, that's missions. Picture, okay, you got to carry everything you're going to need for the next five years on your back. And you're going to walk. And you're going to take ships. And you're going to be a danger from drowning. You're going to be a danger from robbers. You're going to be a danger from, from, from all kinds of issues. You've got people who have warrants out for your arrest who are trying to kill you. This is a complicated thing. Missions is hard work. You could make the case that Paul is saying, hey, if this guy leaves us, man, we lose someone. I got to carry his stuff. 
Right? This is hard work. Not only that, we're left alone. This is, you don't want to, you can't have your team peeling off because of the danger and the reality of the situation. Barnabas, on the other hand, you know his name wasn't really Barnabas. That was a nickname he was given, and it means son of encouragement. Barnabas is the guy saying, but man, I believe in this guy. He can do it. He can do it. And Paul is thinking, but if he doesn't, what would happen? I can't risk it. Why? We got to build these churches up. We can't stop building up these churches, and this guy could, if he leaves us, could hurt us in the process. Here's your conflict. What's interesting is that we discover, at least in the immediate, by the time this journey uh, carries on, it wasn't resolved. At least Luke isn't recording a resolution. He's not recording a council that has come in and spoken to it or elders that have, have resolved it. The conflict is sitting there. And so what happens? A disagreement arises, and so what does it say? They separated. Paul says, you know what? I, I can't take this guy. So I got Silas over here. He's a leader. He's an elder from the church in Jerusalem. I'll take him. Barnabas says, all right, I'll take this guy. But Barnabas then only takes John Mark to one island, the first island they went to. Paul goes up into the region of southern Turkey with Silas, and they begin this mission. And that's how, at least here in Acts, it ends. What's interesting to me is that even though there is division, the mission still goes on. And even though there's division and these guys aren't getting along, we now have two missionary teams, not one. And even though there's sharp division among the two, sharp division, it says, even though these guys are, are not seeing eye to eye on this issue, the church is still going to send both teams. And they're sending them under the grace of the Lord. They recognize God is sovereign. Let's send these two teams out. Let's let them carry out their work. Why? Because the mission will continue. Luke is not getting us caught up in this narrative. He's only putting a few verses in it. Because there's something I think he wants us to understand. The issue isn't ultimately the conflict. The issue is God. The issue is the mission. The issue is that even though they couldn't resolve it, the mission still continued. Even though they couldn't resolve it, you have now two missionary teams. Even though they couldn't resolve it, the work is continuing on. The mission is continuing. Why? Missions is messy. Sometimes it doesn't go the way you think it's going to go. Sometimes it doesn't all line up. Sometimes you just can't buy an outfit for your wife. Sometimes that's just what happens. It's just the way it is. Now let's conclude this. Let's wrap this little story up here. And I want to conclude it by fast-forwarding now many years. We're going to go ahead a few decades. Paul's at the end of his life. He's on trial. He's in jail. Most of his companions have abandoned him. It's interesting. Paul has this pattern of people abandoning him. And uh, most of his companions have abandoned him. He has one person with him while he's in jail. No one wants to even stand trial with him because they're afraid that even if they stand next to him during the trial, that they might get accused and they might get arrested. And so he's alone. He's facing this. And he's like, and he knows this. He knows that, that he's got nobody there except one guy, Luke, the writer of this book. Luke is with him. And Paul's writing a letter to Timothy. We call it 2 Timothy. And he's telling him, hey man, 
you know, stay in the game. This is tough. It's tough work. Stay in the game. But he tells them this in, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. He says, I want you to come to me, Timothy. And then he says this in verse 11 of chapter 4. Only Luke is with me, but pick up Mark and bring him with me. He's useful. Right? Bring Mark. Somewhere in the course of this, Mark stays in the game. And it resolved itself. We don't know where. We don't know how. We don't know what happened. But at the end of Paul's life, who does he want with him? He wants Luke, Timothy, and Mark. That's who he wants next to him. So even though he's launching in his second missionary journey, and he's saying, there is no way I would work with this guy ever, period, stick a fork in it, I'm not working with him. Our friendship, Barnabas, is over. He didn't really say that. But I'm not working with you. You're going. I want nothing to do with this guy. Fast forward a few years later, I want him with me at this crucial moment of my life, at my trial. I need Mark. And, and he says this. He's useful. He's profitable. And he says he's useful for me for service, meaning this. He's useful in the mission. Paul's going to carry the mission until they cut his head off. And, and who does he want with him? Mark. And so what's interesting is the Bible gives us a resolution to the story. But it shows us something. Missions is messy. The work of the kingdom of God is messy. But there's two things that we need to keep our eyes on in the midst of this. Number one is the heart of the mission. right? It's not, Luke is not trying to keep our eyes on this argument. He's touching on it. He's letting us know it happened. But he's moving us past it. He's moving us past it. Because the focal point isn't two missionary leaders who can't get along. Wouldn't this make a great movie? Right? The breakup of the band. It's over. They can't ever get together again. That's not his point. The point is, Paul has a heart to nurture these churches. He has a heart to build them up. And yes, it's going to occur in a context that's difficult. Human sin gets in the way. Human frailty. People we can't see. None of us are sovereign. None of us know everything. But the focal point is this, and our first focus is this. We've got to keep our eye on the heart of the mission. The church exists for a reason. It exists to be established in a reason. If you're working in the nursery here, if you're working in Sunday school here, if you're out in the community, if you're leading a you know, Bible study in your home, whatever it is that you're doing, it's about building people up to carry out the work of the church, the purpose for which God designed it. That's the focal point. It's why this whole story's bookend around this ministry. Nurturing, building up, establishing. Keep your eye on that ball. That will occur in the context of messiness. It will occur in a complex situation. But in the course of the messiness, keep your hope on the sovereignty of God. Keep your eye on the mission and keep your hope on the sovereignty of God. Why? God's mission will carry out. Churches will be established and relationships on earth can be resolved. Broken relationships. It might take time, but they can be. And so keep your eye on the mission and your hope on the sovereignty of God. I think that this story is encouraging. And I just want to say this, and then I want to pray for us here. I think this story is encouraging because it reminds us that things aren't going to be carried out in, in ideal kind of perfect settings. Even two godly men, guys that... That, you know, I could not, you know, I mean, I'm in awe of Barnabas and Paul. I'm in awe of these guys. 
I'm in awe of what they've accomplished and what they did and, 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 the, and, the, and the courage and the faith that they had to stand true to the gospel. Even men of that caliber had conflict, but yet the mission continued because their eye was on the mission. Their eye was on what they're doing. Let's build this church up. Let's not lose sight of that. And I believe their hope was in the sovereignty of God. God will work this out. We can relax. God will work it out. We can relax. God will work it out. And I think that's just very important, and it's encouraging to me because you, we can all say, yeah, missions is messy. The work is messy. The work that, the, that, that Ambry is doing in India is tough, messy work. And she's going to see lots of issues emerging all around her in India. And yet we can pray for her. God, just keep her eyes on the mission and keep her hope in your hand of sovereign hand. The work that Todd's doing around the world with LRI, training pastors and dealing with pastors who, who get arrested and thrown in jail, and he's got to be a word of encouragement. And it's messy and it's hard work, but we can pray for Todd. Just keep his eye on the mission and keep his hope on the sovereignty. Let him bring that to the people he's training. And, of course, the work the Karis's and Clock and Gays are doing in Canada. Tough work. Strongholds around villages. And yet we want to pray for them. God, keep the eye on the mission and their hope on the sovereignty of God. And tough work even in Sycamore, even here. And yet we want to say, God, let's keep our eye on what we're about, operating the way God's designed us to operate, and our hope that you are sovereign and you'll work through these things. Don't give up. They'll work out because we're on a mission that can't fail. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for... I thank you, God, that it teaches us instructs us, even though we have one little short story, one little blip, and yet in the midst of it, it reminds us. In the midst of it, it reminds us that you're sovereign, that you created two missionary teams through that conflict, that, that they continued on with the work of, of, of building up the churches, that they didn't allow this conflict to define the mission, but they pressed on with their eyes on the mission, and we get hope in your sovereignty as you not only strengthen the churches throughout Asia Minor, but you even restored the issues that Paul had with John Mark. So much so that at the end of his life, at the most critical juncture of his human existence, that man was profitable to Paul. What hope there is for all of us as we live in this world. Hope, you are sovereign, you are control. And with that hope, may we keep our eye on operating as a church, doing what you have called us to do, being ambassadors of the, of, of the reconciliatory work of Christ in this world. We are to be a fragrant aroma of him. And may we stand on him as a foundation and proclaim that to the world. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Kishwaukee Bible Church. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H, bible.org.